up to Fort Tryon Park. Um, it seems like that should be an easy walk to take, right? It's right, I can see it from my apartment. Um, but there's a bit of a, a climb up there. So I um, don't do it as often as I should probably, but um, over the years, it's a walk that I really enjoy taking. Larry and I, um, in the spring especially, we try to do that once a week and kind of see what's new blooming um, in the spring. It's delightful up there and taking lots of different walks with different people. But there was one um, close friend of mine who's passed away. Passed away. She has not passed away. She's just moved away. <laughs> I have had friends that passed away. This isn't one of them. She's just moved away. She's still, you know, I can still talk to her on the phone and stuff, but I can't take walks with her. So um, the other day I was taking a walk all by myself because she moved away. And um, <laughs> I, you know, did that big climb up the hill and honestly was a bit winded at the top. I'm going to um, admit to that. And I get to that top of that hill and there's this like beautiful uh, view of the Hudson River, and it's just a beautiful spot. And I was reminded of what my friend Kimberly often said in those moments. She would say, can we stop? And so, you know, our plan was to get exercise. So, you know, we would like huff it and, you know, keep going. Um, I have to admit that we often j talked a lot as we were walking, so we weren't walking fast enough to keep us from um, talking the whole time. But, um, but still, the idea was that we were going to be productive, we were going to exercise. And so she would ask this question, can we stop? Can we stop and be still for a moment? Can we stop and look at this beautiful view can we stop and just be present in this moment and take some rest? Can we stop and breathe? And so sometimes during these moments, we would we'd be silent with one another and just kind of take in the view. Other times, we'd keep on talking. Um, I remember moments throughout the park where we would stop and we would laugh. And sometimes we'd even cry, sharing what's going on in our lives. But what I noticed is, because of doing that so often, her voice is in my head as I walk around the park. Can we stop? And it's a question I think we're all asking ourselves every day. Um, perhaps it, it's not an audible question, but it's still a question that we ask ourselves. Can we stop? Can we stop when we're sick? Can we stop when we're tired? Can we stop when we're grieving? Can we stop to remember? Can we stop to celebrate? Can we stop? And I think that the city is always telling us, keep moving, right? Our, um, our teachers and our, our um, bosses, our parents probably, are all giving us this unspoken message, maybe sometimes spoken message, keep working, right? Don't stop, perform. Play hard, but work harder. So this morning we want to ask, what is the message that God is sending us on this journey about stopping? And so we're going to look at um, Exodus. And if you remember in the fall, we um, covered a sermon series called The Making of a People. And we looked at Exodus and we looked at the story of how God um, tried to save his people who were enslaved in Egypt. And so he goes to a man named Moses who, through some 
crazy events, um, actually lived in Pharaoh's home. Um, but when God calls him, he's living outside of Egypt at the time. And so God calls Moses to go to Pharaoh and to say, I, I want to free my people. And it's um, important for us to remember that it wasn't just I'm going to, he didn't just send him and say, go ask to free the people. It, he starts um, a little bit at a time, and it's, e it's really important for us to see um, Pharaoh's reaction, just to the small request that Moses and his brother Aaron um, asked for in Exodus chapter 5. And so I'm just going to read um, kind of that discussion um, that happens between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. So um, they go to them, and they said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. So it's interesting, he's not saying, let them go. He's saying, let them go for three days, just three days. But the king of Egypt says, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. Get back to work. That's the message of Pharaoh. And so God, through plagues and he separates the Red Sea. He saves the people. They are taken out of slavery and he takes them on a journey, which is interesting um, that God takes us all on a journey. He takes the Israelites on a long journey through the wilderness and we see that it takes just six weeks on that journey before the people, the Israelites, are upset. They're like, how is God going to take care of us? We would have been better if Pharaoh was taking care of us. Our life was better back then. How is, how is God going to take care of us? How are we going to eat here? And so God has this conversation with Moses and Aaron about the plan of how he's going to provide miraculously for the people in the wilderness along the journey. A little bit each day he provides for them. I think that's important for us to remember as well. And so he provides quail at night, these birds that they are able to eat each night. And then in the morning, there's this um, layer of dew and this bread that's on the ground. That each morning, there's a new, fresh um, bread for them uh, called manna. But what's interesting is for us to see how also um, God provides something else really important for them. And so um, the, on the seventh day, it's unique. So on the sixth day, he does something special. He gives them a double portion of manna. And he says, everybody, get what you need for two days because the seventh day is going to be different. He says in verse 23, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. And Moses said, this is what the Lord commands. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. He's given it to you. And that is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. And so the people rested 
on the seventh day. So it's interesting. He provided for them extra so that they can rest. So think about the different messages. Pharaoh says, get back to work. Don't take a break. And God says, I'm going to provide for you extra so that you can rest. And when you see here that God is a holy God, we read that word holy as it relates to God often in the Bible, but it also says that the Sabbath day is holy. So what that means is that it's different. It's set apart. And when we think about God, God is different than anything we have seen or known. And so Sabbath is also different. It should be different than the other six days of the week. It's set apart. It is special. And so is the relationship that we have with God is different than the relationship between Pharaoh and his people or even the world today and us. There's a different message, and God invites us to have a different relationship with him and that he's going to provide for us. He's going to provide for us so that we can rest. So um, the practice of Sabbath is something that the Jewish people do throughout history, and we see that it gets harder and harder as um, the time goes on. And so when we see Jesus in the Gospels, the first four books of the Bible in the New Testament, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four books describe Jesus' life here on earth. And we see through the Gospels that there are six different times where Jesus gets in trouble with the religious leaders at the time because he's not keeping the Sabbath the way they want him to. There's all these extra rules to doing it the right way. Can't work at all. And so he's constantly getting in conflicts with these religious leaders who are following him around and seeing that he's not really doing it the, what they think is the right way. And so I want to read just um, one of those times in Mark chapter 2 because it gives us a, a helpful understanding of how Jesus views the Sabbath. And I think that's helpful for us um, who are not practicing Jews, um, but we are still in a relationship with the same God who invites us as a gift to rest in him. And so in Mark chapter 2, it says in verse 23, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. Now the Pharisees um, those are the religious Jewish leaders at the time, said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So he is saying here, I am the Son of Man. I am the Son of God. I am above your rules for Sabbath. So he gets a little testy, um, which he often does with the Pharisees. But then he says something about Sabbath. He says that Sabbath is made for man, that it's made for us, that it isn't about rules that we're supposed to keep. And maybe that's what it feels like, this idea the rules that um, God has created for us to keep us in line. But no, Sabbath is for us. It's a gift it's an invitation to live in a different relationship with God because the powers of this world are always telling us, don't stop. And yet God lovingly invites us to stop and to rest in him. So why is Sabbath such a gift? 
It's not just that we get to stop working, even though that is a gift, right? But it's more than that. Sabbath is also this reminder of where our worth comes from. I think all of us strive to feel good enough, to be accepted, to be valued, to feel loved. And I think we learn at a very young age that to feel valued and worthy, that if we are just a little bit more productive, then that's where our value comes from. I saw a tweet um, in the last couple of weeks that said something along the lines of, people ask somebody they meet for the first time what they do, what their job is, as a way to size up how much they matter. I don't know if that's always true, but I think all of us have felt that way before. Where people ask you, where are you from? What do you do? What schools do your kids go to? Where do you live? What school did you go to? And sometimes these questions are just friendly questions where people are trying to get to know you. But I think we've all had those experiences where we felt like the answers to those questions um, determine how much we're valued, how much we're listened to. But Sabbath sends a different message. The message is you don't have to do anything to be loved, to be valued. That you're worthy of love, you belong, even when you don't produce anything. Sabbath reminds us that we are deeply loved and that we belong to God. It's a reminder that if I do less, I am not less. So in this book that I read this week by a woman named Shelley Miller, she wrote the book Rhythm of Rest, Finding the Spirit of Sabbath in a Busy World. She says this. She says, in the same way we cannot earn worthiness, we cannot earn a Sabbath heart. God gave us Sabbath as a commandment, not so we could achieve his love, but to show us how deeply he already loves us. And so the author, she wrote um, this blog that she invited people to join her Sabbath society, her Sabbath community, where um, each week she encouraged people to set a day aside to practice Sabbath. And so in this book, she talks uh, a lot about the different people's experiences. They come from lots of different backgrounds, have um, lots of challenges to practice Sabbath and get very creative different ways that they can incorporate that into their lives. But there was one woman's comment that struck me the most that really um, helped me remember um, the importance of Sabbath. And this is what she said. She said, I can't explain it, but I feel happier, more at peace, more able to cope. And weirdly, I realize I like myself more. I like myself more. It just struck me because I get what she's saying in this. Um, after practicing Sabbath myself, I realized that I like myself more because I realized that I, I'm not loved because of what I produce. I'm loved for me. I think we get the message six days a week that you need to produce. And I I'm struggle with that every day. And on Sabbath, I have to remind myself, you don't have to produce to be loved. Just rest in me. And I think that's all, what all of us really are searching for, that feeling of being loved just for who we are. 
In the book of Isaiah, God says, Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. And Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So how do we do it? How do we still take us practice Sabbath, take 24 hours to rest? So I have to admit to you guys that um, the practice of Sabbath is not something that I was taught about growing up in church. Um, it wasn't something I was discipled to do. I was very much taught to come to our weekly gathering um, and to serve at church. That was very much something I was taught to do. But this idea of setting time aside to rest, what Sabbath is, this special day set aside, I wasn't taught about that. And so it wasn't until five years ago um, when the leaders of this church, we went to a conference um, here in New York in, in Queens, um, the Emotionally Healthy church leader conference, um, and we learned a ton in that conference. But one of the things that he really, that Pete Scazzaro, the, the leader of that conference, talked a lot about was Sabbath and how it was this ancient um, practice that we've somehow lost and that it was a gift that we are not accepting in our lives and that it's countercultural to um, the values of this world. And so we had this panel of people who have different stages of their lives. Many of them were pastors, and, um, uh, but other people from, you know, older people who were taking care of their um, disabled children, adult children every day, to um, young people with small children. All of these people who had incorporated Sabbath into their lives and what the blessing um, it was for them. And so we decided, um, we didn't know how we were going to do it, but we would give Sabbath a try. And so the leaders in this church, we committed to that and um, have encouraged people along the way to join in, uh, in with us in, in really accepting that gift of Sabbath. And so I just want to share with you what um, we learned uh, and what I've learned over the years practicing and studying about Sabbath. So first of all, Pete Scazzaro says this, that Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time in which we stop work, we enjoy rest, we practice delight, and we contemplate God. We stop work, enjoy rest, practice delight, and contemplate God. So first of all, Sabbath is about stopping. Can we stop? The word Shabbat is where we get the word, he, uh, the word Sabbath from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which just means to cease, to stop. And we don't stop because we have gotten everything done in our lives. We stop because we recognize that we're not in control, that we don't control everything. And so stopping forces us to admit that God is in control. Kelly Miller says, Choosing to leave practical things undone is a brave act of trust and relinquishment. And I think that's what I've really learned about practicing Sabbath, is that it's so much about trust. So I was thinking about this um, 
it occurred to me that over the years, Larry and I, we got married very young in college, um, but even at that young age, we decided that we were going to live off of 90% of our income and give 10% of um, the rest of our income to the church. And over the years, we've done that in various churches we've been a part of. And I remember that um, it was a pretty easy decision for us to make just because our parents kind of um, mentored us to do that. Um, we saw other people in the churches do that, and so it was something that we decided we wanted to do. But I also remember that it was a really hard decision. Um, Larry was working, was the only one with a job. We were in, both in college. And it was kind of like, how in the world is this going to work? How are we going to survive? We need that 10%, you know, and it just seemed really hard for us. And then over the years, it got easier and easier, and not just because um, we we started making more money, which I will admit we did, so there was that, but you always kind of need, you feel like you need it all, right? But it got easier for us to give because what we learned is that our faith and our trust got bigger and bigger over time of doing what, um, you know, sometimes is referred to as tithing, of living off of 90%, and, and what it's all about is sh showing that God can be trusted to provide for us. That it isn't the 100%, it isn't the 90%, it's God who's providing for us. And so that's what we learned from tithing. And I think Sabbath is very similar to that. That it takes trust. And that at first you think, there's no way I can do it. I need seven days to get everything done. And what I've learned is that um, it's a change of perspective. And so almost every week I will think to myself, I don't think this week it's going to work. I've got too much to do. And then I get there, and I'm like, but I want it. I want the day of Sabbath. And what I've learned is to say, I've only got six days to do it. And if I can't get it done in six days, well, God's going to just have to help me get the rest of it done. It truly takes trust. So the next thing we do after we stop is we rest. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He made it different because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So on Sabbath, we physically rest. We sleep in. We take a nap. You might nap while your kids are napping, or maybe you just rest on the couch while your kids are watching Sesame Street. However, you can get a little bit more rest that's what you do. But we also emotionally rest. We don't fret and worry about all the things that we need to get done during the week. We rest from that. And so what that means is you have to prepare during the rest of the week to Sabbath, to rest. You have to have a plan for your Sabbath. And so that means you make a plan for meals. You make plans for your phone calls and your texts. You make a plan for laundry and grocery shopping on the other days of the week. So I've noticed that um, oftentimes when many of you guys are going through different um, times in your life where you're, you've got hard things that you're going through, I encourage people to consider it to be you're in survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, you just do things differently. So um, maybe it's grief, maybe it's illness, maybe you're moving, or a new baby in the house is certainly survival mode, let me tell you. Um, but 
in times like that, what you do is you just do what you have to do to survive, right? You just do as little as you can to get through that season of life. And it, it doesn't last forever, but it's okay when you're going through survival mode to just do as little as you can and, and you'll survive. You use paper plates. Your kids watch TV more. You know, you um, don't vacuum. You just make your itself, you know, you make it easy on yourself. And Sabbath is a lot like that. So for some of you, you have little ones in your house. Diapers still need to be changed, even if you're Sabbathing, you know? Um, you still need to feed your kids. You still need to feed yourself. But what can you do to um, limit the amount of work that you're doing? Can you make meals beforehand? Can you order food or serve foods that don't take a lot of time and energy? I mean, kids love cereal. They could eat cereal three days, three times in one day. It's okay. You do what you got to do to make that day feel different so that you can rest and you can emotionally rest as well. The other part of Sabbath that I think we forget about is delight. That part of Sabbath is that God invites us to enjoy and delight in his creation with all the gifts he offers us. And those gifts include people in our lives. They include places that show God's beautiful creation. There are things in this world that are delightful that we get to enjoy. In Brene Brown's research, she found that there's a similarity between the biological need we all have for rest and the biological need we have for play. Certainly we need rest, but we also need, and God invites us to, delight. Sabbath is this holy day. It's different. It's set apart. So what can you do to make it feel different, to make it feel special? What can you do to celebrate the goodness of God's creation? Can you enjoy food and drinks that you normally don't allow yourself to do six, other six days of the week? What can you do to delight? And that looks different for all of us. We delight differently. You know, Larry um, delights in baking. I don't. <laughs> I never choose to um, bake. I delight in eating his baked things, um, but I never choose to cook. I'm always, I'd rather have a bowl of cereal myself. So that's what I do. Um, sometimes shopping can be delightful. Sometimes it feels like work. It seems like too many people, and so I just decide this is not delightful for me. I'm not doing this right now. And so I'm constantly asking my, myself the question, is this something I delight in? And so um, Larry and I, we often um, challenge one another, what are you going to do on your Sabbath? Is it delightful? Because um, especially me, I can be really sneaky and trying to find ways to say it's Sabbath, but I'm really getting some work done through there. So um, Larry will watch me on that. And so I'm just going to give you a list of some things that are just plain delightful for me. Um, taking walks in the park, having tea and scones, um, going, to the going to museums, going to movies. Um, I have to be careful which movies are delightful. Some of them are not, and um, challenge me, and I would watch them a different day, but um, it, it doesn't feel restful. Uh, I read fiction books that have nothing to do with work. I enjoy doing crafts. Um, holding a baby is delightful for me because I'm past that stage where it isn't an everyday thing in my life. 
I'm sitting in a, a park, just sitting, listening to jazz music in Washington Square. It's delightful for me. Um, going out to breakfast, swinging in a hammock. It's one of the most delightful things in my life, to swing in a hammock. I'm sitting on a beach, antique shopping. That's my list of delight. So I want you all on your card. Um, you need a pen. I'm going to give you some time to write what is delightful for you. So maybe, um, does everybody have your card and a pen? Write on the top, delight. For some of you, this might come really easily. And for others of you, it might be hard to think about what you would do if you could just choose to do anything that you could delight in. Some, it's going to, you can do it with people, you can do it by yourself, it can cost money, it doesn't have to, right? As long a list as you think you can do. You can think of more. <laughs>
All right. If you um, have more things in mind, you can keep writing them down or maybe um, this afternoon spend some time thinking about that. Um, if there are people that you're close to, that's a, a good question to ask people. Think about how they delight. And it's something that I think as a community we can encourage one another to make sure that we're, as a people, delighting in the good things that God gives us. But the last aspect that a Sabbath includes is that we contemplate, that we ponder on God's love for us, and it's a really important part of our Sabbath. It's not just a day of leisure. It's also a time of heightened awareness of God and his presence and his nearness to us. I read how in the Jewish tradition, they refer to this in the Hebrew a phrase that kind of says that there's a second soul that is only present during Sabbath. I thought that was an interesting way to understand it, this idea that our soul actually kind of grows and expands and that we're um, aware in a new way for God's presence in our lives. And I have to uh, admit that this is the part of Sabbath that is hardest for me. Um, for me personally, um, my job, I do a lot of considering God and thinking about God and thinking about how to teach other people about God. And so it's really hard to make this feel different than the other six days of the week. It's rare, though, for us to just have these quiet moments to really ponder and think about God. If you've ever read the Psalms in the Old Testament, you might notice this word, this Hebrew word, that comes at the end of many of the Psalms, um, the Hebrew word selah. So um, I looked up that it's the same in your Spanish Bibles as it is in our English Bibles, this phrase that shows up at the end of these um, psalms that sometimes were um, spoken, but oftentimes they were sung. And so um, it is used over 70 times in the Bible. It's a phrase that is used even more than amen and hallelujah, which we use a lot in the church. But uh, this phrase, it's harder to understand what it means. And so biblical scholars have kind of tried to find, figure out what it means. They've looked at context clues and um, what other words in Hebrew that are similar, um, what their meanings are. And what they think that this was used for was whoever was speaking the psalm, or if maybe even they were singing this psalm, that it was a direction for them to pause at the end. But it wasn't just a pause. It was a pause where you consider a pause to stop and listen, to measure the weight of what is being said. And I think it's really rare in our daily lives to have moments where we just set aside to pause and to ponder and consider what God is saying to us in that moment and to see how God is maybe coming th to us through our emotions. It takes a bit of intention to create this pause, this cella in our lives. And that's what I am um, working on doing in my own practice of Sabbath. And so I, I said that it was a struggle for me. Sometimes I can read scripture and it feels like I'm, it's just me and God, but sometimes it can feel like work and I'm thinking about how I'm gonna teach on that, that um, passage. And so I've had to be a little bit creative and try to be different. And so sometimes just taking a walk in the park 
prayerfully walking in the park works for me. Um, I can even do it at the museum by myself, kind of looking at the art and, and thinking about um, how God might be coming to me through this image. Um, this past week, I uh, didn't want to go outside, and so I just looked at um, time-lapse videos of nature. Um, I watched several of them, and it was just beautiful music set behind beautiful images of nature. And for that, I really felt like God inviting me into his presence and being with him. Um, I also will just look at different artwork um, on my, you know, I'll just Google um, art. And um, Visio Divina is this ancient practice of, through an image, kind of um, having time to pause and consider how God might be coming to me through this image. And I um, actually came across this beautiful painting of um, what it made to me was rest. This image of a person lying down, and then um, the another image of somebody um, holding them, but it didn't look like a person. It was angelic or something, but it made me think of God um, giving a space to rest. And so I spent some time doing that. So I just encourage you guys to um, work on being creative, just as you're creative in your delight, be creative in how you can set time aside to contemplate. So for Sabbath, we, we stop work, we enjoy rest, we practice delight, and we contemplate God. So I imagine that as I've been talking about Sabbath, that several of you might think to yourself, um, I don't think this is going to work for me. You might think that your life doesn't really allow you 24 hours off, or that um, Sabbath is something that you do on Sundays, I work on Sundays, that won't work for me, or I take care of kids, or I take care of my parents, and so I don't think I can do sab Sabbath right now. And what I want to encourage you is that I think all of us can make steps to make space to practice Sabbath in our lives. If you can't do 24 hours now, how many hours can you do? If you can't do Sundays, what day can you do? You can't completely stop working. Okay, what can you do to do less work in your day? To spend time in each of these areas, to rest and to delight and to contemplate. So one woman in the book that I read um, said that she was really creative about how she Sabbath on the weekends where she... Um, she volunteered in leading worship at her church. And so what she noticed was on Sunday mornings didn't feel very restful for her when she led others in worship. No, we're not going to make eye contact here. But um, <laughs> so I thought this was interesting that she, what she decided to do was um, to set aside the second half of Saturday as her Sabbath. And so she would um, get her grocery shopping done and her laundry done Saturday morning, preparing for Sabbath Saturday afternoon. And then she would wake up, energized to lead worship, give it all she could, knowing that the second half of Sunday would also be her Sabbath. I thought that was a really creative way for her um, to incorporate Sabbath into her life. For Larry and I, we work on Saturdays and Sundays. And so we take Fridays off to Sabbath. It's something that we um, do almost every week. And um, that means, you know, if the dishes aren't done by Thursday night, they still are dirty by Saturday morning. Um, it's something that I 
Like I said, I struggle every, sun, every um, Friday to say I'm not going to work at all, but it's something that um, has been a very important part of um, my life, and I honestly don't know how I could do my job and our marriage and family long-term for the long-haul journey that God asks us to walk on without um, the delight and the wonderful invitation of Sabbath. But our daughters um, go to school five days a week, and so Sabbath doesn't work for them on Fridays, so um, they have started to do it on Saturdays. That's something we've um, really worked on in the last couple years. It's weird for our family to to be doing that on two different days. Um, And what that means is we're intentional that we try not to um, host anything at our house on Saturdays um, so that they can feel like it's a place that they can just rest. Um, Sometimes they have to be creative about schoolwork and um, speaking to teachers, like how um, sometimes there's you know, this expectation that they'll work on Saturday, and so we try to help them come up with solutions. I have to admit that every single Saturday, I want to ask them to clean the room (laughs) and to take um, the dishes out of the dishwasher, and I realize I'm more like Pharaoh than I am like the loving father that we have, and I just want to say, get to work. (laughs) But I have to remind myself that it's a gift. It's a gift that they should receive and that their lives are hard and that they need it in their lives just as much as I do, and that it's a rhythm in their life that I want them to have for, their rest, for the rest of their lives. And so right now, I, I want to give us all this Sela moment, this time to pause and think. So Amy's going to come, and she's just going to play some um, music to help us kind of quiet ourselves. And I want us to think about what steps you can make to participate in the gift of Sabbath. Some of you have never done it before. It seems um, like a weird thing to do, maybe. But what can you do? What do you feel like God is asking you to do? Some of you have done it for years. How can you do it? Maybe a little bit better. Maybe readjust. For me, I know that I need to work on a contemplation. It's something I need to grow in. What is God asking you to do? Consider this question. What steps can you make today to make room for Sabbath? Maybe you can write it on your card. Maybe you just close your eyes and connect to God. I'll give you some time. 